Do you get bummed out about the state of the world with all the big, scary problems that we're facing that threaten the future of humanity? I get it. I do too. But today, I'm going to offer some concrete, positive trends and tools at our disposal that may help us get through this mess. There is cause for optimism, and we need to keep our spirits up. So let's dig in. This is the joy of saving the human race, where we try to get the world to cooperate. It's so the human race can avoid some urgent global problems that could mean the end of civilization and cause lots of suffering around the world. But also, we just want to have a good world that we enjoy and we can feel proud of. We are not just citizens of our own countries. We are citizens of the human race. Let's learn to manage ourselves responsibly. Let's help the human race act like it wants to last for a while. I think humans are awesome, and the human race is worth saving. There is no time to waste, so let's do this. Hi friends, welcome to the joy of saving the human race. I'm Shelby Murtis. So on this show, I talk a lot about big catastrophic threats facing humanity that threaten our future. I do this because I believe in honesty, and I know that the only way to solve these things is to take a realistic look at it and talk about this stuff. So here we are. My job entails researching these catastrophic threats every day. So I'm immersed in this dark stuff all the time. And if anyone had cause to be depressed, it might be me, because I spend so many hours learning about the ways that our future might be very bleak if we're not careful. But I actually maintain some optimism. And, you know, it's important because I wouldn't be doing this show and the other work I do if I didn't think it was possible to solve this stuff. Otherwise, if I thought it was impossible, I would just give up. I wouldn't be doing the work. I would just go play until, you know, the apocalypse comes. But I do feel like this is solvable. So here I am doing the work, and hopefully you'll do the work with me in learning and being a good citizen and however you do that. What I'm going to talk about today is the cause for optimism, despite these um, bleak problems that we're up against. What I'm going to talk about today is not fuzzy, feel-good stuff. I'm not going to just blindly say, oh, let's just be happy and be positive. I'm going to talk about really concrete reasons why I think we might be okay and might be able to steer through this mess. Um, and there are a lot of solid, positive trends happening, and there are also tools at our disposal that might help us. So today I'll briefly talk about these problems we're up against, just to do the quick summary. But most of this will point out the very positive trends that are in our favor. Now, with this show and some other work I'm cooking up related to this, my goal is to help humanity gain the tools needed to protect itself from these global catastrophic threats. That's because no one country alone can solve these world problems. Solving the global threats requires strong global solutions. 
So my goal is to help build a grassroots movement that encourages citizens around the world to push for transformation of the United Nations system. Obviously, we're not there yet. Um, instead of all that, right now, individual countries are fumbling around in the dark, looking out for their own narrow interests amid growing chaos in the world. I get intimidated by the huge amount of work ahead of us to solve these problems, and even the work for me personally that I'll be doing. Um, but, you know, it's important to keep our spirits up. And I'm recording this conversation with you today partly to cheer myself up, but I hope that I'll cheer you up with me. I've been kind of bummed out the last few days or week or so because the COP26 just finished up a few days ago. That's the very large international um, UN-based climate change negotiations, where all the countries got together to try to hash out an agreement to keep our planet from melting down. And they didn't really succeed. Um, you know, they made some progress, and, you know, I applaud the little bit of progress they made, but it's clear to everyone that we're nowhere near what is needed in order to solve the problem. So right now, we're already seeing wildfires, intense storms, floods, starvation, water shortages, etc. It's already happening, and it may get far, far worse. And as it gets far worse, it could lead to a collapse of our economy. We really could have, you know, even bigger than the Great Depression, and this would be a worldwide phenomenon. What's strange about this is that right now, a lot of people seem to prefer some economic comfort right now instead of a bit of sacrifice to avoid complete destruction later. It's baffling to me, and it kind of gets me down. Um, but in addition to the wildfires and floods and starvation or whatever from climate change, we also may be seeing a huge migration of people. Because over the next 50 years, scientists tell us that much of the world will be too hot for people to live. It just simply won't be possible. And those places are home currently to 2 billion people. That's billion with a B. That's about one quarter of our current world population. So 2 billion people would have to move or die. That 2 billion is about 25 times our current amount of refugees in the world, which we're currently managing poorly. We're also seeing a destruction of nature. We're in the middle of the sixth mass extinction on Earth. The last time we had species go extinct faster than this was 65 million years ago when the dinosaurs died. We're right now in the COVID-19 pandemic, still, and we have a growing risk of future pandemics that could be even far worse than COVID-19. And that growing risk is because of the destruction of nature, but also our industrial meat production and work done by scientists in biolabs where dangerous pathogens could escape and cause a pandemic. We still have thousands of nuclear weapons in the world, still, despite the fact that 
over time, there has been many close calls, mishaps, accidents that came close to having an accidental explosion of a nuclear weapon or even an all-out war by accident, fumbling into it. So the longer we maintain that risk, um, the more likely it is that something really bad happens. And then humanity is developing more and powerful technology and historically has often managed technology poorly. And so if our current and future powerful technology is mismanaged, it could be incredibly destabilizing for our society or destructive for nature. So as we contemplate that whole set of issues on our plate, which I know I just sort of glossed over, they're all really, really serious, and any one of them could be incredibly destructive, but we may have combinations of those problems, and they're all sort of interconnected. As we contemplate this stuff, um, you know, normal, healthy people will have some emotions about it. You know, it can make us scared, angry, depressed, sad, frustrated. Um, for us to... Um, save humanity from these issues, it requires managing our emotions and managing our thinking and keeping ourselves in a good, um, just it, manage our internal landscape in a way that we can be good and productive and take care of business on this stuff. So I notice in general, as I hear people talk about these kinds of issues, I, I notice people's personalities come into play because everybody's different. Some people are just naturally optimistic and some people are naturally pessimistic. Some people tend to see the glass as half full. Some people see the glass as half empty. Um, I really try to maintain both positive and negative. I try to maintain a balance between hope and fear. And I think if you lean too far toward the positive or the negative, you're not going to be helpful and effective. So, for instance, I come across some people who are all hope and optimism and say, oh, the future is going to be fine because it always has been. And we always seem to come up with something to, you know, make things work out. These people um, often lean on technology is a reason they feel optimistic, like, you know, technological innovation is going to solve everything, despite the fact that our problems are because of our inabilities to collaborate and cooperate with each other. So, you know, I would say to the people who are really super optimistic and just assume it'll all be fine, I'd argue maybe you're not understanding the threats that we face and how complicated they are and how deep they run in our society. And really, if you're feeling positive about the future, show me a plan. Do we have a plan for getting through this mess okay? And is everybody on board with that plan? So without that, I'm a little doubtful. But also, on the other end of the spectrum, fear, depression, hopelessness, those feelings are natural. But if you wallow in that, it can lead to inaction. So there's plenty of people, I think, who are doing nothing because they've given up. They're like, we're fucked. It's hopeless. 
why even bother? Let me just live my own life and try to forget about it all. But the problem there is that that mindset is then part of the problem. So if enough people feel like that and believe that, then they've checked out and are not doing anything to help. And really, we need all hands on deck right now. So that type of helplessness then becomes the problem because people aren't doing what's required to get through this. So a lot of this stuff ends up being people's predictions about the future. But in fact, no one knows the future. So all we can do is just do the work and see what happens. And, you know, I train myself to hold both hope and fear together. Now, fear is easy. I, I just read the news and watch the unfolding shit show, and it's all right there. There's plenty of things to be scared about with our future. It's the hope that I have to cultivate. And so here's what I focus on as I cultivate hope and keep my spirits up and keep working. So the first is that lately we have had so much attention to climate change, which is one of the biggest threats that we face. I have never seen this much news coverage and journalism about climate change. It's been enormous. It's almost as much coverage as we need. I think if we can ramp up the attention a little bit more and help the public understand the nuance and the complexity of some of these issues, it's going to be enormously helpful. So I've just been very inspired that with this recent COP26, the climate negotiations, even though it didn't result in the policies that we need, there is still so much attention on it in the world and millions of people looked on that with suspense and, and then maybe sadness, but the attention is huge. That's a first step in getting anything done, is getting a large enough segment of the population to care about it. So that's really, really helpful. And then also that amount of news coverage is resulting in um, sort of activity or thinking by the general population. So lately, there's been a lot of public opinion surveys that are showing a growing concern about climate change among the public. Um, surveys like that are really helpful and good in taking the pulse of the population and know where people are at. But they're a little imperfect because sometimes people put their best face forward or they'll respond in a survey sort of like how they think they should respond and it's not 100% honest. But something I came across recently is data put out by Google um, about people's internet search, uh, internet searches basically, what they're looking at on the internet. And there's this huge increase of people concerned about the climate. So in early October of this year, they say that people searching the term climate anxiety was up 565% over the previous year. That's an enormous um, increase in people caring about that. They also said that the week after the recent IPCC report, 
where um, just tons of scientists basically put um, you know research and data together to report on the state of the climate lately. Um, a week after that IPCC report, the term MAP sea level rise went up 1,000%. That means there's a lot of people searching probably to see their home or places they care about to see if it's going to get flooded by climate change. Also, right after the IPCC report, the term or the phrase, what can I do about climate change, was up 2,600% over the previous year. That's enormous. Also, terms that got a lot of attention or increase is just general climate change, COP26, Greta Thunberg. Um, so what's interesting about this Google data is that these are not people putting on a public performance or trying to say what they think they should say. This is people all by themselves in front of their computer. It's a pretty honest place for an individual to be in and for Google to assess that. So not that I want everyone to feel anxious about the climate and be depressed, although it's natural, but that concern about it can be tapped into. And there is a genuine awakening among people around climate. So remember that in previous years, the news reports that would show up would be just once in a while. And when it did, it was like this weird debate about whether climate change is actually happening. And so we've gotten past that. And, you know, most reasonable people realize it's a problem and want something done about it. And it's resulting in this enormous awareness and attention to it. So that inspires me and we can do something with that. The other positive thing is tragic also, but we had COVID-19 happen. And everybody is impacted by it, highly aware of this. And it really um, has helped people understand that individuals are impacted by global situations. So between COVID-19 and climate change, we've had two huge global issues have broken into the public consciousness. Now, so far, until recently, it seems like people's impression of world affairs has been like, that's the stuff that happens out there to other people in the world. And so maybe they'll tune in sometimes if there is a war going on somewhere, or maybe they'll be concerned about global trade or the global economy. But for the most part, I think a lot of people have not felt like they are individually impacted by what happens in the world. But between climate and COVID, people now understand that they can be affected by a global situation. And I think they're probably dawning, it's dawning on people that um, not only are they impacted by a global situation, but we really don't have the global tools we need to manage this stuff. And so the lack of really good policy on these fronts and good systems to manage it it's getting painfully obvious to a lot of people that we're just not where we need to be in terms of acting as a world. 
So again, this awareness is huge. That's, it's not the only thing that's required, but it is required to get big things done. You have to have the public on board, and they're just about there. So if we can keep talking this stuff up, then soon people are going to clamor for the global solutions that we need to these global problems. Another reason you can hold some optimism is just look at some of the positive, huge progress humanity has made over the last several decades. Um, there's increased life expectancy. There's more education, more literacy. We've gotten so much better at fighting disease. There's less war. There's less poverty. There's more people eating. There's less slavery. Uh, there's been progress in gender equality and racial equality. All these things are hugely important and have been a result of cooperation by people around the world working on this stuff. It didn't just happen by accident. So it tells me if, if we can make progress on these issues in this huge way, we can make progress on these threats that are in front of us. With all those things I just mentioned, we're not done yet, obviously. I mean, there are still issues and we're still working on them. But the progress we've made has been enormous. And hopefully we can continue the progress and expand that to some additional issues. Something else that COVID-19 taught us, I hope, is that huge change can happen quickly. So during, you know, when COVID-19 hit, um, it dawned on everybody that this was serious, and then everybody got worried, and a lot of change happened quickly. So basically, um, we had a level of coordination and behavior change that we haven't seen in, I don't know how long, decades. So we had, you know, lockdowns and people wearing masks and it changed how everything operated, like stores, restaurants, events, workplaces. Um, it changed the way so many things happen day to day. Now, it's all imperfect. We made plenty of mistakes along the way. I'm not saying it was all good, but we did a lot in a short amount of time. So if we were able to change that much, that quickly, maybe we can do rapid change on other fronts, like, say, managing our consumption to avoid destroying the rest of nature, or changing our energy systems so that we can manage the climate. Um, it's inspiring, and I think through this, we've shown ourselves what's possible, what we're capable of when we all get on the page, on the same page and do something. A lot can happen quickly. The other thing that COVID-19 showed us is that we have enough money to do what we need. So after decades of politicians telling us that we can't afford to take action on this big problem or that big problem or this thing that we need or that thing that we need, somehow the COVID-19 pandemic hit 
and they came up with trillions of dollars in economic stimulus. So in just the first year, over $20 trillion governments came up with. Trillion with a T. That is, it's simply an enormous amount of money that they came up with in one year after telling us we can't afford to do things. So that tells me that maybe we can afford to spend the money on other essential things that will save the future of humanity and keep us from catastrophe. So we right now have more financial resources than ever in human history. We've never had this much. So if you look at a graph of world GDP, gross domestic product, basically the, the kind of simple measure of the strength of our economy, if you look at that over the last 2,000 years, you see dramatic exponential growth. So it just hugs the bottom of the graph, and then it just goes vertical. So basically, our economy is growing so quickly. It's growing exponentially. And people don't always realize that because every year it'll grow, you know, on average 3% or something like that. So people see it as just a little bit of change. But if we go at the pace our economy has been growing the last couple centuries, um, at around 3% or 2-something percent, our economy will double in the next 25 years. So we right now have the biggest economy we've ever had. Consider doubling it. So all the activity, the goods, the consumption, the work, the all that gets done and gets quantified in money is going to double in the next 25 years. Now, unless we have a major cataclysm, like, say, destroying the planet and everything falls apart on us, that could keep the growth from happening. But that's the pace that we're on, and our economy is insanely strong. So we do have enough money. We just need to learn how to use it better. And so, you know, there's more money by affluent people and affluent countries in the world. If we could learn to share that better, and distribute that better, there's enough to go around. We can get these needs met. And also among affluent people and affluent countries in the world, if we could, instead of consuming products that we don't really need, if we could direct some of those resources towards saving humanity, we could get through this mess. So it's important to realize that we don't have a shortage here. We have as much as we need. We just need to use it better. Um, I'll note here that this enormous and growing global economy is also part of the problem. It's the mechanism by which we're breaking the planet. Our consumption is breaking the planet and making it dangerous for us in our future. But it's also the solution because we do have enough money to do what we need. Another good thing in our, in our favor is computing and technology. So this has revolutionized basically everything in the last couple decades. And in terms of facing these global threats, it's important because we now are gaining the data we 
we need in order to understand what we're doing and to make good choices and to solve problems. So consider years ago as fossil fuels emerged and became intertwined throughout our economy, um, nobody knew that it was going to warm the climate and potentially destroy everything. It's not like anybody came out and said, let's burn fossil fuels and destroy the planet. Nobody said that. Like our ancestors, they had no idea what they were doing. Um, but now we do. We have data. We even have satellites, you know, monitoring the Earth, telling us about our emissions. And, you know, the computing that's required to do all the modeling to understand how the atmosphere functions, to understand um, what emissions will result in, in terms of climate, you know, warmth. Um, all that is intensely computer-driven processes. And so the progress we've made on the climate, at least in terms of getting attention on the issue, would not have happened without our technology to understand what's going on. We would still not really know what we're doing to ourselves. So there's also um, computing and satellites and whatever can help us keep an eye on deforestation around the world or land use changes or the impact that we're having on nature. This is huge in terms of understanding um, the consequences of our actions, but then also as we put policies in place to use land better, to protect nature, to protect forests, it can also help in terms of enforcement. So if countries agree to do something, we can see if they're actually doing it. Or you can actually go out and there's places where in the rainforest getting, you know, torn down illegally. They can use satellite imagery to go and, and see what's being destroyed and go out there and stop it and make those guys stop uh, tearing the trees down. So in these ways, technology is great. Um, also in terms of, you know, dealing with pandemics, um, for tracking disease, for sequencing the genome of the COVID-19 virus or other pathogens that come along in order to develop vaccines. These are intensely computer-driven processes that we just couldn't have done even a decade or two ago. And so these tools, you know, technologically is not the only solution. But it's a huge part of the solution and really will help us get a handle on issues and manage them better. And then related, um, it helps us communicate with each other. And, and right now, pay attention because this may be the most important point that I'm going to make today. We now have an internet. That's enormous. So in the last 20 years or so, where the internet has become mainstream and enmeshed itself throughout life, transformed how we live, how we work, how we shop, how we communicate with each other, how we learn, the internet gives us such a powerful tool. The reason this is important is because right now, in order to solve these global problems, we need global solutions, and the best um, place to do that is our United Nations system. That's where countries of the world collaborate and solve problems. 
But that UN system is not as strong as we needed to be. We needed to be so much stronger and capable of solving these global issues. That's not going to happen unless citizens demand it. Um, it's just not, or else it would have already. If countries wanted to rally together just to be more cooperative and help each other out and be good, they would have done it already. So what's necessary to make that happen is citizens pushing for it to happen. And the push will be enabled by the Internet. So right now, we can actually organize ourselves internationally as citizens, as a grassroots movement to make this happen. Prior to even 10 or 20 years ago, you could not even have contemplated that. It would have been pretty impossible. Um, but now we around the world can talk to each other. So my words right now that you're hearing can be heard by anyone in the world over the internet. And in terms of organizing or building an organ, uh, a movement of citizens pushing, um, we can now talk to each other. So I could talk to somebody in Japan or in Africa or in South America or, you know, like Europe or wherever, and we could talk together and get this done. There's even translation tools. So, you know, computer translation tools for languages. We can transcend language barriers that have also kept us apart throughout history. So right now, it doesn't matter what language you speak or where you live, you can be a part of this movement, and we can all make this happen together. Something happened last year that gave me a boost of optimism and faith about getting this done. And that was the protests that happened after the George Floyd um, murder by, by police in the United States. After that happened, there were millions of people hit the streets in protest around the world in over 60 countries on all continents of this planet. Now, Americans, I don't know if they noticed the worldwide impact because they were kind of focused on what's happening here in the States. But while that was happening, people all over the world were protesting because people around the world have had issues around race and have had issues around policing. And so regardless of what you think about those issues, it does show us the possibility of citizens around the world taking action in unison at the same time about an issue they care about. Now, I'm thinking if we could get many millions of people out there protesting around race and policing, which are important issues, we could also get people out there protesting to save the future of humanity and keep like catastrophe from destroying everything. That's important enough where I think we can get people on board with that and you can actually get them out there protesting or doing whatever other citizen activities to push the governments to give us the United Nations system that we need. It tells me this is entirely possible. Now, I'm not claiming it's easy. It's big, big work. 
but it's necessary and it's also doable. So that's what I want to be involved with. And pretty much the rest of my life, whatever years I have left, that's what I'm going to be doing is helping that to happen. One thing um, that I really focus on here in not getting bummed out, depressed about these problems is to remember that there are good things we can do that have not been tried yet, like this citizen movement to get a stronger United Nations. It hasn't been done yet. I mean, people have kind of dabbled around the edges, but I haven't seen a vigorous effort to get that done. And so if we were in a state right now where we had tried everything and it all failed, then maybe we could say, oh, well, it's hopeless. We tried, we did everything, we couldn't do it. But there are still really important things we haven't even tried yet. So let's just try them and see if they work. And then we'll know if this thing is solvable. So this is not the time to mope around and be depressed. It's really a time to get to work. And to some extent, try to let go of these predictions about the future. Nobody knows what the future holds. And really, the future depends on what we do and what choices we make and what work we do. So I hope we'll just get to work and see what happens. So I'm almost done with this talk for today. Um, but before we break, I just want you to know that I need your help. I hope that you'll help me with something. Hit the subscribe button, whether you're listening on YouTube or on podcast. If you subscribe, it's a huge help because it shows others that people care about this show and find it interesting, but also helps you know when new episodes hit so that you can be with me for future episodes. Also, share this show with a couple friends. Because obviously, we're, I can't solve all this myself, and neither can you. So if we can grow um, the movement by giving it to people and helping them learn and, and think about these issues, that would be really helpful. And if you feel real ambitious, but it's actually not big, go to my website, uh, joyofsavingthehumanrace.com, and just learn more about this show and this movement and sign up for the email list. Um, and then that way you can hear about future shows as they come up. And then also I'm going to be doing some work to launch at some point a campaign to rally citizens around the world to push for a stronger United Nations. I'm very early in the process. I'm not going to have anything big and splashy soon to announce on that, but I am working on it and it is going to happen at some point. So if you're on the email list, you can hear about developments of that campaign and stay informed about it and hopefully get involved. So thank you for being with me today. I appreciate you giving me some time and I hope you'll keep your spirits up and keep working. I will too. Until next time, let's be the best people we can be. Take care. Thanks for listening, but you're not done yet. We can't change the world if we keep the joy of saving the human race to ourselves. Help me spread the word and help this movement grow. Please subscribe to the show 
both the podcast and the YouTube channel. Leave ratings or reviews, which encourages others to listen. Share this show with others on your social media. Even better, just tell a friend about it and have a good conversation about the state of the world. These things really make a difference. I hope you can help the show grow and reach a larger audience. I'm grateful for your help. Thank you. And please stay in touch with me. I love to get feedback, suggestions, and questions. Go to the website at joyofsavingthehumanrace.com. At the website, you'll learn more about the show, and you can sign up to get occasional email updates. Thanks to Moby for the show's theme music, and thanks to you for being here. All right, we're done for today. Be well. I'll talk to you soon.